Welcome to Coffee with Curtis, your home for quality business conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Robert Curtis. Welcome to the podcast. Joining me this time is global brand strategist, Len Weiss. We all know the importance of brand, but we don't always know how to get there. That's where Len comes in. He shares his methodology for building brands and outlines why purpose and culture drive the best companies. Len is a believer in driving loyalty without reason for your business and how that develops into a love mark. Yes, you heard it right, a love mark. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Len, welcome to Coffee with Curtis. How are you doing? I'm well, Rob. How are you? Nice to be here. You're you're very welcome and uh, I'm excited for our conversation today because we met um, probably about six seven months ago and uh we've 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 built up a relationship over those sort of you know half year period of working on a project jointly together um and it's been really exciting to watch you do your craft so i want to share the way that you do that with our listeners and uh take them on a bit of a brand strategy journey today um I, i i think back actually then to when we first met and this, again, I hope you don't mind me telling this story, <laughs> but within the, first, <laughs> within the first 10 minutes of meeting you, Len, we talked about two big things. The first thing was that and we were having lunch. We were actually having lunch, you know, in this joint client. And you, first of all, you came out with, first of all, that you were, were gay. And then about 10 minutes later, you start talking to me about love marks. And I'm like, I need to compute all of this. First of all, he's given me all this information, which is amazing. And then I'm like putting two and two together and making like nine. And so it was just like the most brilliant introduction to the, I think, authentic you. Well, I think, I think to your good point, if you do believe that you bring your full self to work every day, then it includes every part of your life because it informs how I think, it informs how I behave, it also informs how I look at business and the opportunity of what brands can be. And being an emotional uh, marketer, it leads to ideas that we'll talk about today. And I think being authentic and transparent is a big part of what makes business run better. So that's my belief. I wonder, I wonder whether you would agree with this, that as the years roll on and we get a little bit more mature, and we were talking mm-hmm. about a significant birthday for you before we came on air, yes. whether being more authentic becomes easier as you get older because you, you it's not your first rodeo. Um, I definitely think I find that. Absolutely. And, and I think it spills into every parts of your life, including your work life. And I think you find much more joy um, in contributing that way. For me, I love to help companies uh, understand their brands, understand who they are. Um, and that comes with being authentic yourself. You do kind of build trust through your honesty. And it allows me to get CEOs to open their hearts and minds to what their business is about, what their brand means, all through a very personal, authentic approach. Yeah. It's, uh, although I'm probably going to contradict myself here, that maybe it's because we're of a certain generation and we've had to learn to be authentic. And maybe if we give credit to the current generation, mm-hmm. it's actually what they value most. And in fact, I think everyone does. I think we just sometimes go about it differently. Um, but if you start from just an honest place, it's easy. 
(laughs) That's that's very, very true. It's hard to keep up a lie, as they say. Yes. So let's let's dive into some of your wheelhouse. And I want to dive into, first of all, this concept of brand strategy, because that is how I guess you would, would term your your craft, your brand strategist. What does that mean to you? You know, it means far more than I think many people think it is. Um, I think people look at brands as kind of outcomes. They see logos and word marks and colors, and they hear about storytelling. They hear about all the execution of the things you can do with a well-thought-through brand strategy. But what brand is, is the summation of what a company's vision and purpose is. Um, I see myself as a bit of a business therapist. So my role is really to help companies, when they come to me, understand themselves better. Because that leads to better work. It leads to better sales engagement, customer engagement, and overall happier workplaces are a result. Um, So really, it's understanding a business, helping them operate better through a brand strategy that gives them kind of better work, you know, go-to-market working guidelines. Um, it includes best practices, values, things we commit to, and that drives better business. It informs marketing plans and everything else that we use to sell. Um, so brands help build companies over time while we sell overnight. And so brands are critical in making marketing more effective. Um, and so my belief is empowering companies to understand the benefits of it. It's sometimes misunderstood and that misunderstanding leads to people not investing in in themselves because when you don't invest in your brand, you really aren't investing in yourself. And so I come with a very honest plea to CEOs, particularly here in the Middle East who are newer to this concept that uh, true, better strategy led by brand brings best outcome and i call it optimizing your business because that's ultimately what i feel i do i'm a brand strategist that optimizes business performance helps companies build better cultures and at the end of the day gives ceos a clear agenda of what they want to accomplish that is that's interesting i mean i remember when i was part of the sort of founding team of a um a SaaS startup here it's actually how i ended up being in israel um and your your analogy of it being like business therapy is so on the money because mm. I think for the first three years we weren't doing any therapy. We right. were just push 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 push. See what happens. Once we went into th- into therapy right. with with brand strategists, we were constantly in that tussle and struggle of understanding mm. what are we, who are we, and we would ask that question a ridiculous amount of times to ourselves. I mean, we were talking almost right. comically every day. What are we? What are we? <laughs> so, <laughs> great, great point you're making, Rob. And, and that's exactly the challenge most companies make. You know, my first um, uh, meeting with management when they invite me into their organizations to help them is to ask a very simple question. And that simple question often gets five or six different answers from the same management team. And I will simply ask, what business are you in? And you can't imagine what a simple question like that is, but one that's very important um, gets you different answers. And so I facilitate, you know, a kind of therapeutical, uh, therape- you know, therapeutical environment to get them to talk to each other because many management leads don't talk to each other beyond the day-to-day tasks. 
And when you get them to step away from the day-to-day -day desks, get them into a room and talk about the future of their company, what it is and what it can be, you get great energy, great insight, and a lot of um, this connection that you realize exists. My job is to connect managers together, leadership, CEO, and give them the understanding of who they are before any work starts. So what business are you in is the simple question I always ask when I start any process. Wow, I love that. You've already got me thinking. <laughs> you know, it's funny because the simple things, you know, life is not meant to be com uh, complicated. It's up to us to make it simple. Um, I come at it with a very honest, authentic approach that says, who are you? Who do you want to be? Um, what are you doing now that really makes a difference? Um, and tell me, you know, why is it working? Why is it not as work working as well as you want it to? Um, and this simple discussion, and I call these workshops, lead to a process where through a few of these workshops, we get to an outcome of really what business they're in, who they want to be, what is their early uh, articulation of what their vision is. And their vision is, you know, what do they stand for? You know, what will they be in the long run? Um, and and it gets everyone really enthusiastic and excited about their company again. You know, you breathe new life. You breathe new life into executives who are, <clears throat> you know, working and struggling with day-to-day -day problems. <clears throat> and then suddenly you come into a room and say, hey, okay, let's put those day-to-day -day problems aside. Let's look forward and let's understand your business model. And then you may find that all these problems on your desk today start to fade because you may be trying to fix existing broken problems that could be solved with a brand strategy and you can be focusing your time on bigger, better stuff. So, you know, well, that, you get that, that, that point for me is spot on coming from the other end of the, you know, traditional, you know, pipeline as it were, when it comes to sales and often how can you expect your customer to buy from you and to understand who and what you are, if you aren't quite sure yourself. And we end up in this situation that I see so often at companies and they'll call us in and they'll say, we're not selling enough. They're, they're, you know, we're, there's something wrong with the sales team. And often right. we'll go in and look at the sales team and we'll listen to their demos and we'll, we'll, we'll understand how they're presenting the story of the, the business and the brand. And that's really the root problem that they're trying mm -hmm. to persuade people on the other end of the Zoom or the phone to buy something that they don't really know yet why they need it because they're not sure about the brand. And it all goes back to the very Correct. genesis of what you're talking about. Correct. I think, I think what's funny and um, even more important in the SaaS industry, where in my view, in the high-tech industry that we have such plenty of here in Israel, which I really love being part of, is that it's a membership. SaaS is a membership. And when you have repeat customers or customers who potentially can repeat purchase from you, you have the opportunity to build loyalty beyond reason. And that opportunity is through brand because they're not transacting on price. They're tra transacting on trust, the relationship they have with customer experience, the relationship they have with the sales process and the product itself. And when the product is well-served through support and understanding, that's a magical moment that can lead to a greater outcome which I call loyalty beyond reason, which can lead to something very emotional. This emotional connection I call a love mark. And so when done right, we can take brand and give cells a story to talk about that's more than price and more than feature. When we talk about apps today, and I 
really understand why founders really want to talk about the technology because it's cool. It's the big point of difference for them. And they're excited. And I think that's really important. I think that's great at the first year or two of launch when you're selling the widget. But beyond that, you need to build your why. You need to build who you are, why it matters, and get people really excited about what this could mean for their business beyond the immediate benefit of a new app. Um, so, so how do we take that story forward? How do we make this a richer sales engagement that's supported by an organization that is really transparent and authentic about doing the right thing? And brand does that. Brand could help do that. I, th I think what's interesting about what you said, and I've actually never heard anyone other than you describe it this way, is SaaS is a membership. You know, if I think about, you know, the gym, the gym membership or, or whatever it is, it's a monthly subscription based right. model. Typically you might pay annually, but right. there's a, there, there's, there's often community around that. There's other, as you put it, loyalty beyond reason. Um, the opportunities. That's really you, interesting. Yeah. I mean, we always talk and I know marketers know this well, that it's much easier to, um, gain additional business from a current customer than it is to find a new one. And when you already have a membership base and they're buying from you already, how brilliant would it be to inform them about who you are as you evolve as a brand and keep them up to date with it? They'll respect you that, that you thought they were important enough to know. Secondly, they know what your story is and your vision is, and they'll want to buy more from you. So building your base should not be defined by new acquisition. Building your base should be defined by both that and more so expanding your current base to buy more from you. And that requires a brand story, it requires understanding of your authentic self, it requires your ability to express your purpose in all the things you do, including your sales narrative, how you support customer experience and customer support and all the other things go along with a SaaS industry. Um, but I think we're missing an opportunity here. I think that companies um, in SaaS need to look, as you said, Rob, at this idea that their customers are members and there is this opportunity to build loyalty with, with beyond reason with them because they're already with you. And to do that, you need to build a union of love and uh, brand, love and brand together to get to something I call a love mark. You know, make your company turn to something far more than just any trademarked technology piece for SaaS. Make your trademark a love mark. We can talk. So about let's, that. yeah, exactly. Let's unpack this love mark concept sure. because when you first coined it um, to me in that that first interaction together, and we've discussed it since, um, I was blown away by it because it, I, I just got it. It was, it was, it resonated with me. And the, the closest one I could think to how I buy things and stay right. connected to it was was Apple. And we'll 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 unpack a little sure. bit more. I mean, I probably was part of that. How should I put it? This idea of hosting the party, let's say, mm -hmm. creating some brand fans. But I think the love mark takes it even further. Um, yes. And I'd love you to just first of all explain what you think a mark or how you explain a love mark and what does that look like. Like, give us some yeah. examples. Let's help our audience understand what is a love mark and how they can start to think about that within their own business. So let me first say that I give credit to Saatchi and Saatchi in 2004 when they published this book called Love Mark. And for anyone listening to us, I really recommend they look to that book. It's almost 20 years old. Um, it was written by the CEO of Saatchi at the time. I believe his name was um, Kevin Roberts. Um, he's since 
retired and, and um, hopefully still with us. But, you know, it's something you come across in your career. And I've been an executive in advertising for more than a number of decades. <laughs> and it was that book that inspired me to move towards brand uh, as my own discipline, because I always had this need to get behind the firewall, get into the management meetings and help understand what their agendas are. Because often there was always a broken telephone between what the CEO really wanted to accomplish and what agencies and marketers heard in the brief they got. And so I wanted to break that long 50 year problem and uh, circumvent it. And so it became by time and effort and understanding a more trusted partner. And so, you know, while you want to make SaaS customers members on the agency side, I want to become a partner with the clients I serve and not just a service provider. And when you can move those relationships with something that's more emotive and, 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 and empirical, more important, um, you get better outcomes. So in the case of what a love mark is, um, it's creating a relationship with your brand that has an emotional context. It starts with an experience uh, beyond the functional benefits of the product. In the use of it, over time, people start to love your product because it's so effective. But it also has to do a lot with the culture you're building around that brand, what it means beyond its original purpose um in all aspects of that brand experience so everything from the engagement the relationship you build through sales engagement follow-up customer experience and all the other things go with it that today SaaS businesses utilize to serve and make sure that the product experience is resolved and they can function work with it but there's something missing in that there's a chance to develop an emotional connection that goes beyond the reason they're using a product hence loyalty beyond reason, where you can actually build something more. Um, Apple does this not only through innovation, but through a cultural shift in what is the best way to communicate. What is the most effective way to really engage a more authentic place? So their iPhone evolved to the needs of the customers they listen to, so they can build and create communities and social engagement in ways other phones couldn't. They followed suit. but. The product's outcome wasn't just, oh, it's a great screen, it's a lightweight phone, the apps work quickly and everything else, the battery power is long. But what it did was bring people together. And so there's a great emotional context when a product like that can do that in your hand. But I think it's beyond the, sorry to interrupt, I think it's yeah. beyond even the product. I am such a, an Apple fanboy that I had an issue a few weeks ago on apple notes it wasn't syncing in the cloud to all my new sure. devices and i had this new ipad and i phoned support got through to the support line in america and you know normally when you're thinking about speaking to support people i mean it it conjures up you know fear and sure. time and let me tell you the experience was delicious mm -hmm. and i was on i was on the phone to this guy for i was probably waiting for 20 minutes then I was on the phone to him for another 40 minutes. He then called me back a week later to check that everything was okay. Yeah. And this was a support call and I loved every minute of it. You don't want to, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. With Apple, you never want to hang out. You would think <laughs> with everyone else from utility services, you want to hang out. Um, so that's all part of building a love mark, right? Every touch point in the customer experience right. is imbued with this empowered, high-end customer service, true sensitivity and care. Um, and love and respect, love and respect is what make customers fall in love with brands. Um, and so absolutely, if you look at Disney, right? Disney was a theme park 
and a movie, and they made movies. But it's actually all about family. It all mm -hmm. became the centerpiece of the family and the home. And if you were the lucky few who got to experience it at the park, it was like magic happening. So, so this idea of magic and family is what brought Disney to its iconic love mark status. Every company has a different way at it, but what is common is high quality service and support, engagement beyond any type you've experienced um, that builds loyalty beyond reason. And so again, it comes down to one thing, a relationship that's very emotional. And while we talk about you know, B2C clients or B2C companies, I think SaaS B2B is probably really primed to convert into an emotional brand because of membership, because of relationship utilities you need to have with your customer. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see how we can build love marks in a B2B space, not just in a consumer space, and make love marks turn into something that powers memberships, repeat business, and grows the SaaS industry. I, th I think that's a great point. And we're starting to see it with some brands, actually. Um, this emotional connection, as you quite rightly put it, mm -hmm. this authentic self through the brand, through the, through the employees and the way that they operate. Right. <laughs> and um, I, th I think what's interesting is the, uh, it's, it's not necessarily what you do. It's how you make them feel. Correct. That is the experiential um, right. element that that, that goes oh, that to... makes you feel leads to this absolutely i mean i will say something else while you know while we're sharing with your viewers today you know the opportunities and needs for brand and how can it help move companies into a more emotional relationship to get more business in a sales capacity in a marketing capacity where in marketing the messages become more poignant and more uh, powerful because it's not only price or promotion. They're actually speaking about who they are, why it matters um, and what it can do for you. I mean, all these things are critical for a love market for a brand in general. But I think if I could just switch this slightly to say on the internal side of how a company organizes itself um, is really paramount because none of what we're saying of love market can happen unless we're leading with the heart. Now, just to unpack that briefly for your audience and I, don't want to take too much time from you on this um, on this podcast, but leading with the heart is a critical piece in getting to a love mark. And to accomplish that, it starts with how you manage and run your workplace. And if I can give you a brief history, that in the Industrial Revolution through the late 1800s and into the early 1900s, industry was all about muscle. It was mm -hmm. about building cars. It was about power plants. It was about all the things that industry, raw industry, was doing. Over time, as I think innovation accelerated, it became everything about intellect, the brain. And it was all about the internet, it was about programming, IT services, these kinds of things. Yeah, the era of the knowledge worker. The era of the knowledge worker, exactly, Rob. Um, and now we're leading into the era of leading with the heart. And why is that important? Well, the world's become far more complicated with technology. People are feeling more isolated and less connected to the workplace. And this idea of loyalty, in the employee context is fading. People are looking for reasons to stay or reasons to leave. The reasons to stay should be that you're led with authentic, transparent leadership where you know what your goals are and you know what your career path is. That's what keeps people tethered to their jobs, not just salary. So if we can get them past that and have leadership that's really authentic, that cares for the employees in every asset of their lives, uh, and that includes not just flexible work from home or hybrid work. I mean, this has become some of the norm. 
but understanding their individual goals and needs. And every manager needs to be mm-hmm. coached by their CEOs and executives to make sure that their teams are listened to and understood. Um, when that happens, and there's more for this than another podcast I'm sure we can get into, then you're leading with, um, with the heart. And that means magic's happening internally. You need to have magic internally before you can create magic externally and become a love mark. So Apple does it well because their people are a culture. They manifest who they are every day. It's reinforced in their language, their customer service when you call them as you did, Rob. All this is manifested from internal brand, which I call leading from the heart. And that will lead to a love mark experience if done right. Look, it... (laughs) To some extent, people call this purpose at the moment. And Mm -hmm. um, I think actually leading with the heart is actually slightly more on the money because um, we know that the generation who are going to dominate the workforce, you know, both now and over the next, you know, 10, 20 years are the millennial stroke Gen Zers. And they're making buying decisions themselves as consumers and they're buying things that align with their values, purpose, how it makes them feel, leading with their heart. So it stands to reason that when they go out into the workforce and try and find that job that's going to take their career to the next stage, they're going to want to work for a company that aligns with those brand values. Otherwise, it it becomes a self-fulfilling situation. I think that's a great point, Rob, because every employee is a customer, and that's what you're saying. And understanding your employees' motivations means you know how to tap into what drives them um, and make that a better business workplace, a more productive workplace. And that's what brand strategy does. When you, when you really define one and truly go to your employees saying, this is for you. This is not for me as a CEO. This is for you. You are the company. As a CEO, I am not the company. I'm the face of it. What's important is I understand, you understand what we are collectively trying to accomplish. And we're going to give you not only roles, but you're going to get transparency of how your role impacts the greater cause and when you do that you're building collaboration empowerment and a culture of success so it seems so easy you know i could say to this and i have too many it's just that if we can get past the ego of an executive and put that aside because ego is the worst thing for business it gets in the way of everything and look transparently at your workforce as being what is your the asset to unlock. The asset of unlocking your workplace is critical to lead to any of the things we're discussing today. And so behavioral leadership leads leading from the heart is a critical piece. And I do do executive coaching to help companies and executives understand what that means for them. Um, it does mean checking your ego at the door and trying to really be authentic with everyone you're speaking to. Um, but there's something you brought up earlier in our conversation I want to bring up uh, right now, if you don't mind, Rob which is this idea of who's the face of the company. And so I'm touching on this now that, you know, the CEO is the face of the company and he has to set that example. It's thoughts from the top down. Everyone knows this. Every one in business knows this, but what they don't know is that the small things matter Mm -hmm. in how you speak to junior staff, how you empower a team, what the purpose of an all staff is, how you leave them feeling empowered or not, and not demoralized. Um, with pressures of recession today, it's quite easy to fall into the fear mongering that comes from it. In fact, if you are organizing and restructuring your company, it's even more critical to lead with the heart because you want to keep your top talent, 
give them purpose and reason to stay, help, help them know they're building something new and exciting in the new world of uncertainty. And by the way, this is happening all the time. We're always cyclical. The economies go up and down every seven years. It's, it's, it's no surprise to anyone. What matters is how you weather that storm. And that's what brand strategy is. It's, it inoculates you. Brands inoculate you from the ups and downs of the economy and of business. So if you, if you prescribe to your brand and lead from the heart, you'll do well. It's, you've just reminded me of an article I read, and I'm trying to remember the company. I, I won't remember it this time. But they, they have a policy that you cannot get fired from the company. Obviously, you can choose to leave of your own accord. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you did something that was completely, you know, law breaking, yeah, policy breaking. Yeah. yeah, obviously, that would be a no, no. But their, their view is, our company is a family. And in family, sure. you don't kick out your, your son or daughter or cousin or nephew, because it's not quite sinking, you find out what the problem is, how to improve them, whether to move them into other divisions within the within the company and so that actual business said that they mm -hmm. started to see an, a complete change in output and outcomes and the the business culture because everybody knew we're in this together we right. actually are a family and i hate that often used term because companies usually aren't families um a talk yeah, for another time. don't say we are unless you are yeah but, but a business is never a family we call it a family mm -hmm. but it's not a family um but in this case they really did say we won't be firing you ever. You can't, you can fail, but you won't be leaving. We'll find out why and we'll, we'll build that in. And that is with all heart. That is the heart that you're talking about. You know, I, I think that's, I think that's really great. I'm, I, I think there's a tension between, you know, leading from the heart and making sure there's no um, complacency. Because um, kindness isn't necessarily what I believe leading with the heart is. I think honesty is, which means you have the heart of conversations with underperformers. It does mean that you don't, you know, uncommunicate that. I think you owe every employee the respect and due they require. And that includes some tough talk sometimes to say, listen, you need to buckle down, or, you know, or you're not fit here. How about this department? To your point, we don't throw you out like trash. We want to still invest in you. We're a family. You're an asset. We want to optimize. And there's hidden talents in everybody. Maybe that person's in the wrong role. Yeah. But yeah. understanding your employee back to that leading to the heart is understanding everyone around you leads to better outcomes to the company as a whole and for the employees that work there. So I think we're never, you know, subscribing to complacency and quiet quitting. Um, I think we're, we're aspiring to exceptional performance because they're inspired. Um, I think quiet quitting a topic we haven't discussed, but can talk briefly about is a function of being ignored, a function mm -hmm. of not knowing their purpose, a function of them not knowing what the role is, and just falling into a complacency uh, where they only do the minimum because no one around them is empowering them to do any more. And so I think management needs to take more responsibility for quiet quitting and don't blame the employee as being this millennial or general or whatever generation we speak to <laughs> and make it their fault. I think it's responsibility of management to inspire every employee and make the workplace more productive. We're on the same page. Now, I want to talk about love marks for small businesses because not sure. everyone's going to be able to afford Dr. Len coming in and doing a big brand strategy. So if you're a, you know, a two person business, sure. a five person business, even a one person business, and you're starting to think, you know, you've heard, you've heard Len today and you're not sure how to implement your love mark or, or maybe love is something that grows over time. Maybe we're talking about initially a lust mark. 
Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, what advice, Len, do you give to a small company to start their journey on building the long-term love mark? That's a very interesting question. Actually, you're the first person to ask me that question, Rob. Um, because well, I like to pride myself on being completely original, Len. You know, well, that. you are. That's a good, <laughs> and it's not necessarily an easy one to answer. It depends on the industry. But I will say this: when you're a startup, the most important things are is basically getting the product right, finding the right customer first, and doing all the right marketing four Ps well. Um, and then as you're creating this, you have to ask yourself as a, as a leader, okay, so what kind of leader will I be? So we kind of put that last as opposed to first. So I would say this, before you start a startup, what is your philosophy? What is the reason for the startup? Why did you do it in the first place? I would recommend any small business who's starting out to write down their own personal ethos, why I am and why I do why I am and why I do and write that out and say, this is why I'm doing the startup. And it's because it's my passion because I think it's going to help whatever those elements are and write that out at the very beginning. And as you create and get completely, you know, um, wrapped in the world of startup, which means you have no time for anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're worried about, you know, the product efficiency, is it working, getting it online, finding customers, Keep that little ethos because a year into your job business, reread it and then talk about, okay, I need to decide now that I have some staff. Now I got more than three people. I need to start leading because when you're a group of two or three leadership's not as critical, you're just a little group, you know, everyone's within reach. But as you get a little bigger, let's say five up, your leadership style starts to matter. Bring that ethos forward and remind yourself what you did and why you did it. And then look at how you want to be a leader. What type of leader do you want to be? I'm hoping that this uh, podcast gives them a, a sense that these attributes apply to every size of business because brand reputation, something we haven't discussed, but the reputation side of brand attracts talent. So if you live your truth, if you walk your truth, if you walk your brand, and that could be as simple as I'm passionately starting a company that's really about helping so-and-so do so-and-so. That's good enough. And if you stand by it, you'll attract good talent who wants to work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes for no money because they believe in your cause. So that little ethos, which I would then say also, what is your cause, leads to something you need to look at a year after you've launched and start discussing what your brand reputation is. How do I attract talent to continue to grow? Because you're only as good as people around you. Um, and you will find I, need, you know, I now need a marketer or I now need this. First, it was sales of me, and I did everything. At some point, you're going to stratify your business and hiring a marketer to help you. And that person, choose wisely. They have to subscribe to your cause. They need to be the right fit and know what you're trying to accomplish because you don't want them in and out. Like, I mean, many companies just do this. They find some high-qualified person with all the right job history. Well, do they the same hard as you? You know, mm-hmm. hiring today, mm-hmm. if I can say this, is more about soft skills. You know, you can teach technology to people, assuming they're reasonably intelligent, um, but you need to hire for soft skills because you're, you're buying the whole person. If they're the right character, the right values as yours, uh, they'll be trustworthy. They'll be someone you can talk to and lean on. You want, you know, mini partners in the context of a small business that help grow with you. And these mini partners have to be the right fit. So 
HR is now looking at soft skills even more than they are hard skills. And the shift from hard to soft skills in the HR workplace environment is a huge paradigm shift, which is leading to why I talk about leading with the heart, because that's what leadership from the heart really means, that we start prioritizing soft skills, both in terms of how we hire and also how we lead. So for small businesses and for large, leading from your heart matters. It attracts top talent. It means your business will run smoother and better. And it means you're managing down tons of problems because Look, most those, are from employees. I completely agree. And those soft skills are, are, are obviously critical. I think they always have been. They've just come to the front. They've surfaced at this stage in, in, in our evolution yep. to be really important in business. Mindset is also, for me, an absolute mm -hmm. critical one. How that person is showing up, not just who's showing up, how they're showing up is 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 almost the most important factor in how they're going to be productive during that day, whether they're aligned with who you are as a business. Um, and that mindset piece is actually also a little bit overlooked, um, but I think should be something that is a, a big component yeah. in aligning on who you're hiring, who you're working with, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. I think motivation and um, career passion you know, you want to be someone who wants to accomplish something for their lives, you know. And uh, it's not just hiring for kindness. You're hiring for intent, purpose, you know, um, quality, good person. Those are the features of soft. And, you know, they lead to so much more when you've done that. Because you can bring in a whiz and you can be so disruptive in a company's culture and it becomes counterproductive. So it's a balance. I don't think it's one or the other. It just means that, as you said, Rob, we're starting to prioritize soft skills more as we look to culture creation that's more successful, a world of dysfunction. We know the workplace is suffering today and has been for some years. You know, since Corona, since the, the redistribution of life standards and how people choose to live, it's brought this up even more. You know, do I love where I work? That yeah. matters because yeah. your customers are only as happy as your employees are. If your employees aren't happy, your customers won't be. Which is why we see this big gig economy and the creator community and people trying to just do things on their own and, yes. um, you know, live the life that they think they believe that they, they want to go and live. So um, we're, we're, Len, at the um, Brand Strategy Oscars. And mm. Len has been nominated. And some of your work needs to be shown, the portfolio of your work needs to be shown to the academy directors to decide sure. if you're worthy of winning. Um, which two or three uh, brand strategy projects during your, your career are you most proud of? Uh, what did they look like? What are they? Oh, thank you for that question. Um, there are a few. I think the biggest standout for me was reinventing the post business in Canada called Canada Post. Um, they came to me and asked, can you reinvent us? And as you might know, mail is boring. And most post businesses deliver mail. Over time, though, they began to deliver other things, too, like some parcels. Um, so they came to me. They're basically a brown envelope. And my job was to make them something far more exciting. Um, <laughs> it started, honestly, understanding their business first. I found out that they deliver 98% of all parcels to all Canadians. By the way, I'm from Toronto, Canada and now live here in Tel Aviv. But um, yeah, and so I found out they delivered um, all the parcels and Canadians did not know it. 
Um, for many reasons, they weren't wearing uniforms to the door as the last mile in getting FedEx products or UPS products to their door in their counterpost outfits. So no one knew it was a, it was a you know, um, an invisible avatar who showed up at their door. Uh, and so they never took credit for all the deliveries they did. Um, so I went into understanding the real business of their business. And I found out that while mail is still there and it's an obligation for bills and crown and other stuff, it's declining, the real business is parcels. And so I built a strategy, a brand strategy that led to this idea that Canapost delivers the online world. And by giving Canapost credit for all Canadians, that they are the ones who deliver the online world, change the conversation, change the positioning uh, and strategy for this company and turn them from a crown corp, meaning a government funded business into a hugely perceived privatized industry that was doing great things for all Canadians. Um, so we built a campaign, I built a strategy that led to communications uh, and it also led to infrastructure change. So we took over Wendy's uh, and other hamburger um, restaurants that were no longer in use and turned them into 24 hour parcel delivery and drop off centers. And we provided kiosks and materials to wrap your own parcels and drop them mm. in the mailbox. So you can drop a parcel off anytime, anywhere. And the brand experience that wrapped them was not just digital, it was quite physical too. And we provided them with an end to end experience that was unique and special um, to the point where people were lining up to just walk into the parcel store to experience the whole environment of the digital world. We had internet access, we had buying and Shopify access within their stores so that people could actually purchase, not just ship. So we moved their business to an end-to-end -end experience. Further, all the mail trucks that were driving around were thought to have mail in it. And truth, they were all parcels. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge network. They have more trucks than any other um, company in Canada. They're everywhere. There's like 7,000 trucks that Canada Post owns and runs. So we did something with living on the online world. We took the little cart you see when you click on a purchase. This is okay. by the way, a strategy that now is 10 years old or seven years old. Before internet, it's quite the way it is with online purchases. And we made that cart our own. We made it red, which is aligned to the logo of Canada Post, which is red, our red leaf, Canva, our flag, um, and wrapped the trucks into a red cart. Wow. And so all you saw <laughs> on the road were red carts. And their wheel hubs were done as red, so the wheels were red. The cart was wrapped around the whole uh, truck, and the back doors had a beautiful uh, fresco of boxes falling out of it three-dimensionally. So people driving behind saw a truck carrying their parcels. It became so famous that we built an app that allowed you to track your purchase and see the red cart coming to your door over time. Back then, there was no Walt, no Uber, uh, no taxi service that showed what today is commonplace. This was the first time anyone's ever done it. And so we turned our red cart into an icon and that made the brand a love mark. A boring mail company became famous for its cute little red cart. So at Christmas, we launched this campaign and allowed grandparents and parents to send gifts to their children who were waiting for Santa Claus to show up. And the, all they had to do was they were sent the app and in the dark space of the internet where when you buy, you don't know what's happening until you receive, we filled that dark space up. Wow. Traveled to your door and you got to see when it was coming. 
And then when it arrived, the app would explode with a message as a gift card from the person sending it. So we built a brand strategy that turned this company into a love mark through better experiences from the physical stores, through the app and the internet experience of online shopping. And not only were we delivering the online world, we actually began, began to own the online purchase, not just the delivery, because the cart was the icon for the purchase. So we would say, click your cart and leave the rest to us. And we then served the rest of the purchase. So we began to own the purchase and the delivery. This was groundbreaking and maybe it's perceived less so today because now there's so many applications that do this. But at the time it was not being done by anybody. Um, what also wasn't done was the complete physical and digital, the brick and mortar and digital experience being combined. Um, it tripled their business to the point where the distribution centers were overloaded and they didn't have enough 18 wheelers to drop off, meaning they had the trucks, but they couldn't drop off. And they had to build two new distribution centers across Canada to deal with the overflow of business that was resulting. And now since Corona last I heard, they built a third because wow. that amplified their service. So they're probably the most successful male business turnarounds. And we won the World Post Award for innovation um, the year we launched. Wow. So it's, it's literally, you know, it's already been awarded. But Len, you know, if I'm sitting on the uh, right. brand strategy Oscars here, you are winning. What an incredible story. That is. In my LinkedIn profile for anyone to see. <laughs> but I, I think. I see how it's stated, but it's a very good spot. But I, th I think what's really interesting about what you said is, although you then built out the pipeline of other activities and infrastructure, you made the brand famous when they decided beforehand to be almost anonymous. Correct. And and the, I, I can't remember where I read this, but, you know, if you don't start clapping for yourself, nobody else will. Correct. Or, or on the reverse, start clapping for yourself and everyone will start clapping too. And Absolutely. that's you really know, what you've was, done. It was, there's something so beautiful about being able to help a company that way and reinvent themselves because they were a stamp company where you lick stamps onto an envelope and it was put into a red box. Uh, wow. Suddenly that whole experience has changed, you know, delivery centers, parcel centers, you can walk into any of the stores and buy coin stamps and shipping material and shop on the internet. Oh, and by the way, I hadn't told you this. We put changing rooms in the post office. So when we launched for the postman became a big thing, <laughs> well, you know, Lots of returns for clothing, right, Rob? So we put a changing room into every Canada Post store, which was parcel delivery and so on, so that if you got your parcel, you could open it up if it's clothing, try it on. If it didn't fit, you don't leave the store. You just give it back to the desk and have a return. So even then, it made it a little bit more sustainable by not driving it back home, checking it, driving back. And it's, we wow, that's so interesting. Return process and ability for you to live online, both physically and digitally, and be not interrupted. We were a facilitator making this process seamless. Um, and it had, it changed, it changed everything. Gosh, Len, you certainly delivered for Canada, excuse the pun. And uh, you've certainly delivered the goods for us today on the podcast. Thank it's you. been, it's been really enjoyable chatting with you, talking brand strategy, love marks. Even we got into the world of lust marks that I think we and should be exploring even further. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it, Len. Thanks for oh, being thank here. thank you.
And listen, everyone on, on this podcast, uh, I'm Leonard Wise, and you can visit my LinkedIn profile to see some of that work. Thanks so much, Len. Thank you, Rob, for having me today. Thanks for listening to Coffee with Curtis. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to follow and subscribe to stay updated when we release future episodes.